0: Turn with me in your NIV Bibles or find your bulletin insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it. We'll use this as a unison reading. Uh, We find our passage in the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter. And we'll begin to read at verse 32 and read through verse 43. Let us read the Word of God together. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, "'Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.'" and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. the time was 1982, the place was the federal courthouse in Anderson, South Carolina, and the situation was that one hardened prisoner, a man who had the reputation in his time of being the most dangerous convict at CCI, Columbia Correctional Institute, that man was up for work release. And the courtroom was packed with scores of people. People who had gathered there to show not their anger, but their support on behalf of this prisoner. When the judge entered the courtroom, a man who also had the reputation of being the strictest judge in the entire district, the same judge who had seen this same prisoner in his courtroom years before, a judge that looked like he was right out of a western movie with his cowboy boots and his robe open all the way down the front and this huge cigar that he chewed constantly. And the first words out of that judge's mouth consisted of a booming tirade against this prisoner. You are one of the worst men... I've ever had in my courtroom. You've robbed banks. You've beaten people until they're senseless. You've been in fights to the death. You've messed up your life over and over and over again. And here you are in my courtroom today expecting to be freed. Why in the world should I ever let you go? Is the public going to be served by turning you loose to roam on the streets, and on and on that judge went for what must have been 10 to 15 minutes until he finally and abruptly lowered his voice. And he said, I'm going to give you your chance because I think you've truly changed. But if you mess up just one little time, even a parking ticket, I'll have you back in this jail... And I'll make sure that the key is never found. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the courtroom erupted in cheers and applause. Zeb Osborne, a seminary classmate, was a free man. And the reason he was free is because of precisely what the judge stated, that his life was truly changed. It was apparent for all to see, anyone who knew him, that he had made a complete 180 degree turn. He was totally changed. And Zeb is a good example of how some people do change over time. You may know someone in your life like him. It may be yourself who has made a tremendous change over time for the better. But what about those situations where there's been no time for a change? What about the situation like we're confronted with this morning in this passage in Luke 23 where we see this criminal up on a cross beside of Jesus Christ and he suddenly asks Jesus right on the spot to remember Him when He comes into His kingdom. The only more ridiculous than his request is that it was granted. This person who deserves hell all of a sudden has heaven. And it leaves us with a question, what is Jesus trying to teach us by doing something like this? I mean, it seems to me it's one thing if you've proven that you're a changed person. But right there at that instant to honor this condemned man's request, does that really make any sense? Well, let's see if it does. I'm sure some people would argue, like I've already mentioned, that the the man's had no time to prove himself. There's no way to tell whether his conversion is real or not. You know, in any situation, some of us might say anything just to get by. This sort of decision would fly in the face of a scientific world like ours where empirical evidence is the be-all and do-all of most of the decisions that many of us make. Such a course of action would fly in the face of, of common sense. It would show that our Values are all messed up. But isn't, it, isn't that true of our world anyway, that our, our values are sort of rearranged? Don't we see evidence of that in our daily news, like the salesman who defended his legal, illegal practices by saying, well, let's not confuse business with ethics? Or the military personnel who told, sold top-secret information for a few thousand dollars and and their integrity along with it. Or we can think of more than one politician who betrayed family and career for a a sexual liaison. Our values are all messed up. Thrills are going for top money and the value of human beings is at an all-time low. I mean, people get shot on the street for a pair of shoes... And we don't have to be some highly educated analyst to see why we're headed in the direction that our society is going and has been for some time. For it all began, I think, when someone convinced the human race that we're headed nowhere, that we have no destiny, that you and I simply exist on this planet today with no rhyme or reason. This line of thought tells us that creation was some sort of of cosmic accident or explosion and we're here with no overarching meaning to our existence at all. And if that's true, if it's true that we have no destiny, then we really don't have a purpose either. That is, no duty and and no true responsibilities. If we have no destiny, then we don't have any guidelines or goals or ambitions other than eat, drink, and be merry. If there's no destiny, then who's to say what's right or what's wrong? Who's to say that a spouse can't simply up and abandon their family for any reason? Who's to say that you can't abort a baby? Who can tell me that I can't walk all over someone else to get to the top? Because that's the way the world does it. It's your value system against mine. No principles, no ethics, no standards, no true right or wrong, but only opinion and situation. And the bottom line to all of that is disaster. And that's not all. Because if there's no destiny and no duty, then there's no value either. I mean, if we don't have a future, we're not worth much. If all we have is this life, the here and now, then we're worth no more than a rock or a tree or some other animal or insect. There's no difference between us. And we've seen the results of this at work in our society. We feel useless and we feel worthless because this false value system bombards us every day that we live. Just think about the value system of which we're a part in America today. Our world tells us that we're valuable if we're above average in looks. That sinks me. We're valuable if we can produce. We have value in this society if we can slam dunk a basketball or run a 40-yard dash in four seconds. We're valuable if we have the letters DR in front of our names or PHD after them. Value is measured by and large through performance and appearance, and that's a pretty tough system by anyone's standards. Because when we live in that kind of system, where does that leave those of us who are skinny or homely or weak? Where does it leave the unathletically inclined or the aged or the handicapped? Where does that leave all of those Camp Joy folks that we love so much at Clarken? What hope does that offer the unborn child who seemingly has nothing of value to offer? It leaves no hope at all. Now our good news is that all of this that I've just described is man's system... It's not God's value system. As Max Lucado says in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, God steps up to the philosopher's blackboard and he erases this never-ending, ever-repeating circle of human history and replaces it with a line. And then looking over his shoulder to make sure that the class is watching... He puts an era on the end of the line. We have a destination after all. And that is to live with God, to reign with Him, to serve Him, and to worship Him. We come to see that we are valuable after all because God sent His only Son, His perfect Son, into this world to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have an eternal life with Him. We come to see that our worth is built into us by none other than God Himself, who tells us in the book of Genesis that we're made in His image. And you remember how all of those things He created, they were good. They had value. God... In fact, as Paul tells us in Romans 5, shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Jesus treated people the way He did. It made no difference if they were rich and famous or a poor blind beggar by the side of the road. He had time for everyone. It made no difference if they were of the ruling class like a a Sadducee or an outcast like a leper who couldn't even be part of society. Jesus had time for them all. They were all treated the same. Even the hated Roman centurions. And the reason that's true is because they were created in His image. They all had value in His sight. He loved them all. And let's not forget one last example. This dying criminal that Luke describes for us. Surely if anyone was ever worthless, it was him. If you want to talk about a lack of character, if you want to talk about mistakes made opportunity squandered, meanness, dishonesty. I mean, the thief even admits it himself to Jesus. We deserve this. We deserve what we're getting. But you've never done a wrong thing. Maybe that's why Jesus chose him. Maybe that's why Luke gives us this wonderful story so we would know once and for all what God thinks about us in Jesus Christ. I guess it's possible this thief had heard Jesus speak before. Maybe he'd seen the way Jesus treated the poor and the despised and then again maybe not. Maybe the only thing he knew about Jesus was what he was seeing and experiencing in these few minutes as they hung on the cross side by side. We can guess that he did, in fact, hear Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And he could see this whipped and beaten and bloody form of a man struggling for every breath just like he was. But somehow something told him that he'd never been closer to a better person. And somehow he realized that even though all he had was a prayer, he'd finally met the one to whom he should pray. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then we hear the words of Jesus that we can scarcely believe. I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, why did Jesus do that? I mean, the woman at the well, I can understand. Yes, she had slept all over town, but at least she could bring people to Jesus. She could do something for the kingdom. And in fact, in that story in John, that's what we see her doing. Come see A man who told me all that I ever did. Can this man be the Christ? And the whole town went out to meet him. I can understand Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. He defrauded all kinds of people out of all kinds of money. But he's got money. He can help the kingdom. He can invest in the work. He can help the poor. He can do things For the kingdom, but this wretch on the cross, he has nothing to give. He has no time, he has no talent, he has no reputation. He has nothing of a practical nature for the kingdom. And that's the point, isn't it? Jesus is saying to you and me, my love for you does not depend on what you do for me. Now, if you don't hear anything else today, please hear that good news. From Jesus to your heart, my love for you does not depend on anything you do or fail to do for me. You and I, we are important. We are loved. We have value simply because we're part of God's creation and made in His image. We don't have to be good looking or perform well to be loved by God. In fact, He loves instead of and in spite of everything ugly and forlorn and unlovely about us. And we need to remember that all of our days. Not just on Sanctity of Life Sunday. But we need to remember that every single day of our lives and never forget it. Especially the next time someone tries to run all over us on their way to the top. Especially the next time someone doesn't give us the time of the day or they treat us poorly because they don't think That we're educated enough or we have enough resources or we're talented enough or we're young enough or pretty enough. We need only think about the way Jesus honors us and loves us and it'll still bring a smile every single time. And you know something else that will bring a smile is to realize that there's a crucified criminal who walks what we call the streets of gold who knows more about grace than a thousand theologians put together. No one else would have given him a prayer. But in the end, that's all he had. That's all it took. It's the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father. We do thank you for this wonderful picture of love and grace and mercy that we see in the Gospel of Luke. Help us to realize that this passage gives us an opportunity to see ourselves In Scripture, for much like that thief on the cross, we know that we have nothing of real value to give to you and your kingdom. And yet your word reminds us over and over again of, of your love and mercy for us. That You so loved the world that You gave Your only begotten Son so that whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That You show Your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus comes to the disciple who denied knowing Him not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus comes back to Peter once again and says, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. We say the way that you run to us over and over again, whether we're a prodigal child that has finally come to our senses through your Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that you don't wait on us, but that you run out to meet us. We're thankful for the work of your Holy Spirit it causes us to see our need for You and at the same time that helps us to see our value in Your sight. Dear Father, this world is a hard place to live in and in many ways because so many don't know this good news of Your love for them. Help us to have the desire in our hearts to proclaim it, to be an example of it, to show it in how we live each and every day. And we pray that you'll continue to watch over us and strengthen us and comfort us indeed as we more and more think on Your steadfast love that endures forever and Your faithfulness to all generations. And dear Father, we're thankful for the way that You continue to pour out Your healing power upon those who need Your help. We're thankful for Your watchfulness over our sick and ill and those who are recuperating from surgeries, those who are looking toward more tests and possible treatments. We pray for healing for all of them, for them to have the peace of Your presence and Your comfort. We continue to pray for those who are grieving, losses of many different kinds, and we're thankful that Your Word tells us that You're the God of all comfort. And we're thankful for the... Tremendous losses that you have experienced, and the way in which we know that you can comfort us with anything that happens in our lives. We're thankful, too, for your protection and safety for our children and young people, our brothers and sisters in the faith all over the world, our missionaries, all of those serving in uh, hard places. We pray today for your safety for those who uh, enter harm's way to keep us out of harm. We pray for your blessings to be upon them. And dear Father, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we do confess that as a nation we have disobeyed your will and your laws for us as hundreds and thousands of babies continue to be aborted. We ask for your forgiveness. And we ask for wisdom for those who are able to make decisions to change this law. And we pray your blessings to be upon them in the days to come, that all that they do may be in accord with your will. And we would ask... Your blessing upon us for that same end. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith together. If you're visiting with us today, we print this for you in in the bulletin using the Apostles' Creed. Let's stand together. I believe in God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our concluding song is found in your green Bible songs book, Number 144, which is a metrical version of Psalm 69, My Heart Was Glad. now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you forevermore. Amen.